0: Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father. A military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. We have two guests on today's podcast, Braintree Fire Department's Freddie Viola and Braintree Police Department's Billy Cushing. These two gentlemen are here representing Braintree's bravest and finest to discuss duty trauma and mental health in first response. Linda and I are both very happy to have you two join us in this conversation. Uh, First, we'd like to have each of you introduce yourselves to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourselves and your roles in first response. Uh, Freddie, do you mind going first? Not at all. Um, I just wanted
1: to also say thank you for having me on here. I'm very humbled to be on here. And I need to say to both of you that uh, thank you for what you're doing. I believe in your mission, and I'm very proud of you and what you're doing to be able to put yourselves out there and what some people would think would be vulnerable. But um, this is something that we need to do, and and I'm proud of you for doing it. And uh, thank you for having me on.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Billy? Uh, Billy Cushing, Braintree Police Department. I've worked there for over 15 years now. Um, prior to that, I worked for the Norfolk County Sheriff's Office as a corrections officer, born and raised in Braintree. And uh, as Freddie said, like, thank you so much for having us uh, on here. We're honored to be part of this and love what you guys are doing.
3: So thank you for sharing um, a little bit about yourself, guys. Tell us a little bit. Let's go back um, a little bit. Is this something that is, you, know, you always wanted to do? You're, you've been, what, 33 years?
2: Yeah, 32 years, yeah.
3: 32 years. Billy, how long? 15 years?
2: Yeah, now it's uh, 17 years.
3: 17? Yes. Yep. So let's go back. Um, let's take us back a little bit of, you know, about your, the beginning for you. How did, how did you get there? Is that something that you always wanted to do?
1: Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Braintree myself, uh, one of eight kids. Uh, my father was a chef. Uh, my mother stayed at home. And no one in my family has ever been in the fire service other than my Uncle Bill, that's Billy's dad, who was a uh, EMT, a Vietnam veteran, and then uh, the officer, the school officer. So I always looked up to public safety people, especially him. And I always wanted to be a firefighter. When I was seven years old, I saw them. I used to chase them with my bike. And um, as I grew older, I knew that I had to be an EMT. So I took the EMT class at 18, went to Northeastern's uh, you know, accelerated program. I graduated, got a job at an ambulance company um, with the hopes of getting on the fire department. My mother was my biggest fan. And unfortunately, she died at a young age right after that. so I was sort of motivated by that to um, definitely still follow through. And in 1991, I was lucky enough to get on.
3: Thank you for sharing. How about you, Billy?
2: I started in corrections. Uh, my father, as Freddie said, was a Braintree police officer for over 35 years. And he told me to, he actually directed me to go into the, the world of corrections as a stepping stone. So I worked for Norfolk County Sheriff's Office in Dedham for almost five years. And then eventually I took the civil service test, scored well enough, and uh, was lucky enough to get hired.
3: Yeah. Was, that, was that something that you always wanted to do too?
2: Yeah, from a young age I would see him. Um, you know, wearing the uniform, he'd tell the stories, and so it was kind of—I knew from a young age—like that's that's what I want to do. There was no plan B. That was that was it.
3: That was it. So let's go back. Let's see. I, mean, I know you have like both two long career careers. So let's go back and take in the start of a career. Like, what was that like for you? Your dad was a police officer, also. You shared. Did Did you share? Um, like. Beyond the forest, at the same time.
2: Yeah, we had a couple years. We worked together, so that was uh, pretty interesting. I used to take. Um, we were on different shifts, but I used to take try to take as many overtime shifts on his shift, so we could actually work together. So it was pretty, pretty neat working with him, and then bouncing calls off him and his way of looking at stuff and my way were completely different because he was like <laughs> the, the salty old dog, and I was the the new guy. So
3: and was was his way, way the right way?
2: It, when I now <laughs> that I look back, everything he, he used to tell me these things, and I'd be like are you talking about like angry old guy that's not the case and then he's like talk to me in five years and then as soon as I hit that five year mark I was like oh man he he's he's right about this stuff so yeah it was uh I was lucky that I got to I picked his brain as much as I could to just try to gather that uh any knowledge that he had so I had a uh, I think I had a step up on people just because of him
3: okay so let's let's talk a little bit about um you know as a young officer um, coming on on the police force was it different than what you expected? Even though, you, like you heard a lot from your dad, right, and you picked up a lot of you know knowledge from him or wisdom from him. Um, but was there stuff that you picked up that you didn't expect to feel or witness or?
2: My father would always yeah. say. Um when you get on this job, you're going to see things completely different. A house that you have drove by a hundred times, you're going to see different. And I used to, same thing, I'd be like, it's all the same. And then you've, the first time I like went to a, a call of a house I drove by all the time and I walked in the house, I'm like, oh my God, what a shit show in this house. I, I think back of like, yeah, my father said that was going to happen. So little, little cues that he gave me that ended up becoming like real. So, but, um, yeah, and I saw how he carried himself. It was kind of, uh, he was under the mentality that, like, Vietnam era, those guys that got hired in the seventy. it was like, just shut your mouth. Just shut your mouth and do your job and, yep. and just move forward. So that was kind of uh, my introduction to how police world was.
3: Can I just get into that a little bit? What does that mean? Um, for our listeners, like, just shut your mouth and, and get on. What does that mean? Yeah,
2: he... Um, you didn't talk about your problems they used to just drink their problems away that was one of my things why I stopped drinking at a young age I saw how what alcohol did to my father like that was what he buried his his bad memories with alcohol that's what he did and that was like his little thing you just keep your mouth shut and uh, do your thing and that was what they they had they called a choir practice they would meet up after work
3: talked about that right um, in a previous podcast yeah, yeah.
2: that's what it was uh, you, you heard the stories about choir practice and then yeah. you witness what it is. Like the The old timers would have coolers in their car and whether they would have a few drinks after work in an empty parking lot somewhere or go to their their spot they had. That's what they, uh, they yeah. did. They just drank there. There was no peer support or anything like that. It was, um, that's what you did.
3: Yeah, and they talked about whatever events was yeah, after happening. Yeah, I think that Vietnam term.
2: era, that's what they did too. Those guys came back and they were... There was no, no services for them. It was just, right. You know, forgive and forget.
3: Yeah, but did you realize at the moment, uh, at the time, that this is what was going on? Like,
2: it, yeah, I, I kind of knew because I grew up with that. Like this, yeah. uh, it's it's not funny, but it is. But my like Sundays were spent on a uh, boat at the yacht club. That the, the boat never moved off the dock, and they <laughs> used to just, <laughs> you know, all the all the cops were drinking while the kids were just hanging out on the boat. The boat never moved. We just sat every Sunday, like that's what we were doing, and you kind of just that was their thing. That's what they did. And yeah. you just kind of accepted it. You weren't not to their, you know, you didn't say anything. You just went with it. And so that's how they cope with what they were dealing with.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's kind of the, the pro procre- the progression of the debrief too, right? Like they still somewhere inside them knew that uh, after certain calls they, they had to, you got to get it out to, to move on uh, at all. Certainly the infancy stage, but I can relate to everything you're saying too. I, I've drank a lot of problems away and, and I would to, I had to put the bottle down myself. And, and also, uh, when you drive around town, you know, you were talking about that, like, oh, this street, this happened here, this street, that happened there. Um, and I think that it's common for, for police officers, for firefighters to even find streets or routes that they'll begin to avoid, um, right. you know, take a different way so that you're not caused to reflect or, or think uh, think about an incident. Is that something you've seen too, Freddie?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, myself in, in some cases as well, um, where you just uh, you avoid a road because it just brings up a terrible memory or a tragic situation or something like that. Um, I also don't, uh, I don't indulge in alcohol as well. I, I was from a very early age, I had, my mother was an alcoholic, and it just I saw what it did to her. Um, she was a wonderful person, like the best of the best during the day. But at night it, all of her problems became, you know, soothed with a bottle and it just I always thought of that and I always said, Um that's not me. It's uh, it's still not me. You know, I'll have a glass of wine every two months or something, but uh that's about it. I am Italian, you know what I mean? I gotta have a little bit of once in a while, but um I don't um yeah, I just don't do that and um same thing when I got on the job, um the the slogan was you know, keep your ears and your eyes open, and your mouth and your ass shut. You know, and that was the you know, that was the common thing. And some of those guys, like when I first started on the fire department, um, two police officers were killed in Braintree in an automobile accident. So I didn't even really meet anybody right away because we had mutual aid companies covering. But I saw what was going on with them after the fact. Like there was no help. Like, I, I, and I don't want to take anything away from peer support back then but it wasn't yeah. like it is today. Right. Way different. It was, you know, a one-stop shop, like one session. You guys feel anything, let us know, but other than that, you should go out and have a few drinks and just kind of get this thing <laughs> quelled, you know, and that's that's exactly what they did. And yeah. there's no difference in the fire of the police it's that that same quiet practice is uh, alive what's alive and well back then.
3: Yeah, we we've we've discussed that many times. It seems to come up very often in in different interviews that we do. And one of them, was Chief Del Papa, um, who wa- who was on Braintree, um, he's now in Abington, but um, he had, had talked about those choir practices. And, um, you know, he also expressed that, you know, he he was lucky enough to have a sergeant to check in on him after an incident that he had experienced. But he was going by, you know, if the sergeant checked in on him and said, well, how are you doing after that? And it was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And he really wasn't the better of it. Um, But that's sort of how it was handled then because I'm I'm not going to talk about it because I'm weak. You know, he had expressed it was beaten into you, don't show any signs of weakness. Um, So it was beaten into him. So he was not going to show any signs of weakness as a young officer um, to a sergeant. Um, So, again how we handle those things or how we don't address them and then they manifest into other incidents and they build up over time and that's why we're here that's why we're, we started this this is why we wanted to start to get into this and make it easier for first responders in general to be able to talk about the stuff um and not feel weak um they're actually stronger, you know. You're the you're a stronger person. You're showing leadership when you go and get help, um, and not feel bad about talking about it, or who who wh- who else is is talking about it. The thing is, out in in both professions, you all know each other very well, right? You sit around a table. We talked about off air a little bit about sitting around a table after an incident, um, and being able to foster that into environments now of of being able to talk about it easily amongst each other or just to start the conversation and I I don't I'm not sure if it's if it's you know in in the police force um or how they debrief or after that but let's talk about some of the those incidents that you know you remember that you felt bad after have you seen some incidents I'm sure after 32 years right how did they affect you like and how were you able to handle it after? And have you seen any of the first responders in your department you know, struggling also? What resources were available?
1: I think, I mean, I think everybody in their own way struggles, in the fire and the police. Um, it may not be to the larger scale of some and to the lesser scale of others, but I think everybody does. I mean, the shit we see is not normal, um, and it's day in, day out. And that's, I think, you know, for me, I was a brand new firefighter. I was bigger than the world. I was skinny. I was in shape. I just got out of the fire academy. Let's do this, right? You rah, rah, rah. Yeah. One of my first calls that put the little, put the rock in my backpack was, I, we pulled up to a house for, um, for a medical call, unknown medical call, pulled up and there was a woman in the driveway on her knees, screaming. And two little kids standing there next to her, looking at her like, what is going on here? went into the house, and there was an older gentleman, probably her father, their grandfather, that had been deceased for quite some time. And that's, they found her. Found him, I mean. And I just came out, and I was like, wow, this is awful. That sound of the woman screaming is awful. And, um, you know, as a a new guy, I didn't know what to do. And I thought maybe somebody would console her or say something to her, and and it just didn't happen. We got Let's go, get on the truck, and let's leave, and I thought to myself, I'm never going to do that if I'm ever able and in charge yeah. to let somebody hang like that because it was just so awful. But that's like, that's, I mean, that's like a month or two into my job, and I still remember it. And uh, going through some of the training that I've gone through, that's how I'm able to recall those things, you know. And, um, yeah, I mean, I have a date, December thirteenth, 1993. That's when I started wearing my seatbelt. Automobile accident with ejection, young lady. Christmas presents all over the highway. She was thrown out of the sunroof and run over by a, a truck coming in the middle lane and dragged a couple hundred feet. Yeah, and I, I, just remembered, I just remembered the date and the fact that the lady was thrown out. But then as I dug deeper, I remembered hair on the rearview mirror. I remembered a pink slide on the highway, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, I remembered her face underneath the, the garbage truck. And... Again, that's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's not normal right. to see. It's not normal to process. But, um, you know, the way that I have been able to deal with things over time is I, I'm pretty good to myself <laughs> with my resiliency. And, like, you know, I don't drown it in alcohol. But I do things. And I do things that make me happy. And I continue to do that and realize that maybe it's not my fault that this happened and I was there to help. Yep. And
3: that helps, too. Yeah. So have you have you ever, like... <laughs> talk to to someone like resources, peer support, um, like about those things, especially like in your younger days, right, as a new fireman, um, was it those resources available to you then? Um,
1: if they were available, I didn't avail them to myself, um, mainly because of the stigma of oh, this guy's an EMT, he's supposed to be tougher than nails, and, you know, he's new, and get ready, kid, you know, you're going to see a lot more shit than that. And those are the things that, I mean, they just happened. I'm not trying to degrade anybody or say that that they were terrible to me, but it's just the way it was, and um, it's not like it is now. And part of my job as a fire officer is to make sure that my guys can, or girls and guys, can do that, can come to me and say those things
3: Yeah.
1: and say, hey, you know what, this is is pretty banged up here. I, I need some help, or it's not sitting well with me. What can I do? And I can guide them in the right direction.
3: It sounds like there's progress being made, um, you know, over the years for you, but there's still also still so much room um, for improvement and progress to be made. Um, I mean, this is why we're here. Um, In first response, suicide is the number one killer in first responders, um, other than, you know, even more than being on the job or the line of duty. Yeah, that's right. It was
1: 127? firefighters last year i think yeah or in 2020 i should say that died by suicide yeah and i forget the number on the job yeah so it's uh it's a problem it's a catastrophic failure of the system is what it is
3: so even though it's getting better freddie (laughs) and even though you know there there is you know more departments it it really all starts with you know from the top down right uh, in the department of who fosters you know this down to the to the crew right the, the men and women working on the lines um but there still is a huge issue with it that's what makes us want to do this to be able to make it talking easier like to break that stigma billy what does stigma mean to you
2: A uh, negative association
3: yeah Let's talk yeah, about that a little bit. Um,
2: yeah, and, and just to go back a little bit too with the, my father's drinking, that was yeah. one thing like he used to preach to me, do not be like me. It wasn't like my father was like, yeah, drink and your problems will go away. He used to tell me all the time, like be your own person, do not be me. Um, he knew he had issues with drinking and he, he would constantly tell me like, this, this is you don't want to be like this, don't do this. Find other outlets that you can uh, direct your negative energy towards. And so it wasn't like he was like, this is what you have to be, the cop. He did say, like, just shut your mouth and, and do what you got to do. But that was one thing about him. He wasn't... He always told me. If I said I had, like, oh, this call happened... Cause he'd call me the next morning when I worked nights, like, hey, how was last night? And I would tell him, like, oh, this was pretty crazy. And he would, like, walk me through that. That was one thing I had. It was just... He was such a resource dealing with that stuff yeah. that it yeah. was... Uh, you know, that's the one thing that was uh, obviously the, not the one thing I missed, but one of the big things for me. Like, I could... I had this experience that I could just bounce everything off yeah. so that was um huge for me but yeah I just think the stigma when I was new um do you want me to get into one of the incidents of, Absolutely. I don't know please um I didn't even have a year on the job my father was drinking a lot and he could I would work the overnight shift my father would call me when I was working all banged up and then I was like oh my god he's a mess and then he'd come work a day shift overtime and be walk in the door when I was going home at 6:30, and I'm like you shit me? Like, this guy, like, what is going on here? Like, he's perfectly normal and doesn't even remember talking to me the night before. So he was, I don't even know if my siblings know about this, but he, I was working a detail, I didn't even have a year on, and he called me in the morning. And uh, he said, hey, kid, I'm just calling to say goodbye. And I was like, where are you going? It was like 10 o'clock in the morning, where are you, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to kill myself. So I was like, what the hell is, like, he's never said that before. So then I'm, like, panicking. Luckily, I wasn't too far from his house, so my my thinking was, keep him on the phone, and then I'll just go there. So I did, and I uh, walked into the house. He was drinking, sitting at his kitchen table. He didn't have, like, the the gun out ready to go. It was readily accessible where he used to put his gun, but um, I walked in the door, and he he almost shit when I walked in. So I had to uh, call one of his friends that had a lot of time on to tell him what was going on because I didn't know what to do. And um, I was like, what are you d- what are you doing? And he's like, I just had enough. I can't do it anymore. And that was like, for me, I was like, oh, my God. So now and my friends that I was working with didn't know I'm dealing with being a new cop, trying to learn, but I'm also dealing with this man that is my father that has a, a serious drinking problem. So that was um, my first introduction to on-site academy. I had to, um, with the chief and the deputy chief, go through the, the steps to get him into Onsite and I uh, went to Gardner um, but he kind of like he was so banged up that he was kind of blaming me like why would you do this to me and I was like D- you just told me you're going to kill yourself what, I'm just going to let it happen mm-hmm. so he was pissed that I called um, the people that I called so he ended up going to um, onsite there was, uh, we had multiple trips to onsite but that one um, yeah, I, th- I credit with onsite with, uh, they saved his life because he, he was in a bad way
3: so he was open to treatment?
2: Yeah, he was. Uh, after, first, after, after, yes, after the, yeah. Yeah, I remember I had it. they made me take him to, uh, I think it's Gardner Memorial Hospital. It's a hospital out there because he had to be, like, checked by a doctor. And I remember that it was the most awkward um, interaction with him and I because he was, like, staring at me like he wanted to fight me. And I'm like, you think I want to do this to you? Like, this is what I, this is where I want to be right now, doing this to you. And um, he came back, was fine for a period of time, and then... Um, he never made like the, the suicidal statements again, but there was um, we had a couple other ones that I had to uh, one time, but right before Christmas I had to drive him up to Brattleboro, Vermont um, with my deputy chief at the time. That was awful driving him up there because he used to like he used to constantly put it on me like, "What the hell are you doing this to me for?" And I'm like, "I'm I'm trying to help you so you don't freaking die." Yeah. So that was um that was when I was dealing with that from I was a new officer dealing with that shit.
3: Can I chime in here? Yes, ma'am. Um. So. I, I'm like I, I have goosebumps, right? Um. I'm. What's going through my head is, here you are, a, a new officer, a young officer, um, and your dad is struggling. Can we talk about like? What was that feeling like for you? Like, I, you're, you're like, you're matter-of-factly like you're able to just like ramble it off, but there has to be something in there. Like, what was that feeling Uh, like?
2: The way he was talking to me and looking at me, I was like, I almost felt like I was letting him down. Like everything he told me, shut my mouth. I just opened my mouth, and now I got him in a world of shit because he's being taken out of his everyday routine of uh, drinking himself into oblivion. Yeah. And um, I'm taking him out of that. But he didn't see that I was helping. But that was my thing, too. His older group of friends at work, I'm like, oh, and they find out about this. Are they going to, like, what are they going to say to me? Are they going to yeah. be, like.
3: Like oh, shun you. Like, Yeah, like this yeah. kid,
2: have, you know, he has zero zero time on the job. He's a freaking rat. I'm like, I'm just trying to help help my father out here. Like, that's yeah. what am I supposed to do, turn turn my head and just be like, yeah, do what you got to do. So, um, yeah, and that's why, like, uh, I will talk about him um retired chief, uh, Russ Jenkins, he's the one who went with me to I, need to, I couldn't drive him up alone to Vermont, and he was like, I'll go with you. And that was our, like, that's when him and I, like, we have this special bond, and it, that was, like, when it started, because he's like, yeah, I'll take that ride to Vermont with you to bring your dad up there. So it was almost like my, my dad was a uh, prisoner in the backseat of this car. I don't <laughs> he wasn't like, going anywhere. Yeah, like, yeah. it was uh, It was crazy at the time. But yeah, that, that banged me up pretty good, and I didn't tell anyone.
3: Wow. You didn't talk about it.
2: No, I didn't tell. I didn't tell anyone like how I was feeling. My, a couple of my friends uh, that were on the job knew what was going on, but I didn't tell them like that. Friggin' wrecked me bringing him up there.
3: I was just gonna say that, like, what does "banged up" mean? Like that banged me up. What does um, that mean?
2: I was upset. I was. Uh, I actually did, even though I was helping him, I did feel a little bit because he, he would like pour the guilt on me, and uh, yeah, I, I was like guilty. I was like, oh my god, am I not doing the right thing? And I had my, like, my family support. My stepmother knew he needed to get help, but um, I felt like it was all on me. Like I was the, if he was having a bad night, he'd call me and give me shit. He yeah. wasn't, uh, he wasn't, my father and I had this special bond because of our job, yeah. which my family doesn't, I don't think they know how the little stories and how close we were with some stuff and how we helped, but that, um, that took a toll on me. That took me a while to get over, like, seeing his face. I'll never forget his, like, the he had this, like, look of disappointment when I was leaving him up there, like, you just fucked me bad.
3: Yeah. And then afterwards, I mean, after getting him treatment, um, did you feel responsible to make sure that he was okay afterwards?
2: Yeah, but he, I did. He thanked me. When he finally came back and was sober up, I remember he called me, uh, and he was like, hey, thanks for doing what you what you did uh keep doing your thing out there and I was like oh that's all I needed to like yeah Yeah. like he's not calling me being like I hate you you did this to me he was uh he was pretty good he was like thank you for doing what you did he just had to sober up and that's what I had to it was the angry uh Bill Cushing senior was um the drunk Bill Cushing senior so when he finally sobered up he wasn't him really right yeah yeah he was um he knew
3: I love that um, you talked about the chief, like, driving up to Vermont with you. Like, I mean, talk about support oh there, my right? Oh, God, he
2: is, yeah, he's the best. That yeah. guy. Like, I'll never, he obviously remembers that, but that's something I'll never, I'll never forget it.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, others, other folks, like, in the, in the departments, like, as far as other different incidents, have you ever noticed, like, other stuff going on? Suicides in the departments, people struggling, like and how they get help with stigma, and not talking about each other. Can we get into that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think you you see like some of the as as you become more and more experienced on the job, I think you see like a call that um, like kind of shakes someone up. Like you can just tell by their, you know, Jay and Freddie. You know, like you just kind of see it in their eyes. Like, oh man, even if it wasn't like such a bad call, but a younger person might, uh, like a sudden death might uh screw someone up a little bit more than it would us three. Yeah. And you kinda can you can just we've talked about this before. You can yeah. you can kinda read certain people that can that can deal with it and other yeah, people I can't.
1: When I when I first got on the job, the biggest thing was, Oh, can you get me water at a fire? Can you do this? Can you do that? And when I started seeing new guys come on as I got more time, I used to say, have you ever seen a dead person before outside of a wake? And people are like, oh, my God, man, why would you say that? Because that's what you're going to see the majority of, and it's traumatic, first of all, to see that. But then that family, that whale, that, you know, that how come you're not helping or what what do you mean you can't do it? You know, that's what um, I think, more than anything, drives that spike into us um, that that makes us have that stare that Billy's talking about. And I do make a conscious effort to to, – to ask people that I work with, whether they're my guys or not. Um, and I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of the fact that people will come to me um, because they know that I'm a locked box and I, yeah. don't, I don't mess with people's emotions or families or anything like that. If you need help, I want to get it for you. And that's flat out what I want to do.
3: I um, love that you're saying that. Yeah, yeah, which
1: is one of the reasons I took the training, um, you know, to become a peer support guy. And, you know, because I want to help. These people. I don't want them to be struggling as long as they have. See, I, I, I think I'm pretty fortunate in the way that, um, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen, I probably should have sought help at the time, but I'm able to sort of balance that with um, my, my resiliency, my, uh, my hobbies, my things that I do to make me happy, and my reasoning. I, have a, I think I have really good reasoning. Um, yeah. You know, my life has changed in major ways along the way during this career of mine. Um, I did ch- seek um, a little bit of religious help um, post 9-11. Um, and I, I spoke with the, we had a fire chaplain that was really, yeah, he's like a down-to-earth guy. He's a he's a, a Catholic priest, but I could swear and I could tell him I was pissed off at God for yeah. doing, s- you know, certain things. And mm-hmm. um you know, so I, I came back from ground zero. I was sort of angry. I was having nightmares. I was, there were certain things that I, I saw that, you know, smell of concrete, things like that. And I wanted to talk to him about it because I, he was the only guy that I could really kind of trust at the time. Again, there's, the services were a little bit different. Yeah. And um, it just didn't, it, it worked for me for a little bit, but then it didn't. Because I'm, unfortunately, I'm not a very overly religious guy. I believe in something somewhere, but I don't need to go to brick building every Sunday to prove it. And yeah. it, I know that sounds really, I'm sure people listening are going to be like, oh, my God, this guy's angry. I'm not angry. It's just that I don't, it didn't work for me. What yeah. worked for me sometimes is being alone, being with friends. I have a great group of friends, uh, especially Billy. He's one of my best friends in the world. And I have people that, you know, that I can count on when it comes to how I feel. And I can, yeah. I can let that go, whether it's tears, laughter, anger. And, and I'm not judged for it. And that's important. It's important yeah, yeah. in a firehouse. It's important in a police department. And um, it's just important in life, actually.
3: It sounds like that that has developed over years for you, um, you know, learning what oh, works, right, in a yeah. healthy way. Yep. I mean, because we all have choices, right, um, how we handle things, um, situations, whether it be a bad call or an argument or whatever it might be. We all have choices that we can make and how we handle things and how we react or response you to know what's funny situations is, yeah
1: when i did do when i did take um the grin class part of that is to you know help yourself
3: can you right? talk about grin like explain to the listeners what grin is grin is the uh, peer support
1: um yeah. network training so it teaches you to be a peer-to-peer um not a counselor but you're you're you can go into your peers and it, you'll be able to sort of sit with them and get their general feelings on trauma, things that are associated with trauma and how, you know, and, and share my experience with them and so that they can feel comfortable talking. to. Somebody. You know, it's no funny. judgment. Yeah, it's funny because some of the, and I don't mean funny, but the, uh, you know, the, the, they talk about how they had a bunch of clinicians and they would send firefighters and police officers to clinicians yeah. And the clinicians will even crying because they couldn't handle what <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> the firefighters was yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. saying. So yeah. They had to like vet these people and, and then that's part of our network that is, you know, these people are all vetted. They understand how a firefighter thinks, a police officer thinks. Um, and, you know, so do we as peers. And I think that's huge. Yeah, you get it, right?
3: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think also the no judgment thing, you know, yeah, there's I, always that I think that's, you know, where the where a lot of stigma right we put a lot of judgment on ourselves if I speak or if I say how I'm feeling, you know, I feel shame because I'm sharing that, but also am I going to be judged on the other side of the table? Yeah. Um, and, and that's where a lot of stigma comes in in, in there too. Yeah, um, when I
1: took that, I was like, they, I, again, doing the exercise, you've done it, Jay, so you know what I mean. Like you do the exercise about yourself, and I was like, I have to go home and I have to ask my wife, like, what happens? Like, have I ever done X, Y, Z? And every single thing I did. I did it to, an, like, like over and over for years and years. So I was like, wow, I really got to change something because I'm a mess. I'm an, angry, <laughs> I'm an angry guy. I have nightmares I didn't even know I had sometimes. Like, things like that. And, and that's where it clicked for me.
3: Yeah, was that scary, like, going through that episode, um, those episodes?
1: It was. I... I the, uh, I think the the most part uh, for me was the sadness. Not so much the, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be afraid, so to speak. Yeah. Like the nightmares are just nightmares. I wake up sweaty and just forget about it. But the the sadness sometimes when you associate a call with a mother's wail. Like, I, yeah. I, I tell you, that's my thing. Like, you know, everybody has their thing. Like, blood, guts, different, really not a thing, you know, um, as sad as some of these calls can be. It's when... They're, they're unexpected. They're a child, or yep. they're a family member, and you, you just hear those those wails and those you know those sad people that are in the house. It would affect me. To, yeah. in fact, I, I, part of the when I do some training, um, paramedic training and stuff, I play a video. It's called the things we see, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have any music. It has music, but no words or anything like that. And it's just flashes of images: police, fire, military, EMS. Big, you know, all these flashes of things blowing up, guys going through a thing, police officers shot, you name it, it's on there. And it's it's just very vivid and fast. But then at the end, there's a short thing where someone's doing CPR on the side of the road and there's a mother on the phone. And she drops the phone and she's saying whatever the guy's name is, and she's screaming the name. And, I'm like, that's the worst part of the whole video for me. Yeah. And I tell the people that in the class, like, you know, that. That whole thing, like all that other stuff is sort of, unfortunately it's normalized in my head, but that, other, that mother at the end is what kills me mm. because it's just you realize some, the loss that someone feels. Yeah, I don't know if that made sense. but It does make
3: very Absolutely. much sense. Yeah. You want to chime in there, Jay? Well,
0: <coughs> just to say that um, I, feel this, I feel the same way. It's those, those little subtle things on scene the, uh, when someone's helpless, hopeless, screaming in pain, uh, those are the things that I carry away. Uh, you know, you go to a go to um, bad pedestrian accident or something like that. I'm I'm very comfortable going and having lunch afterwards. But kid falls off their bike the wrong way, and yeah. I'm like carrying that around the rest of the day. Um, so it's it's interesting uh, the things that that can disturb us. Um, yeah, that's all I had to there say. Are,
1: there are some things too that you you know there are some of those real bad you know, visual calls that affect you, too. But it just seems like you have, you know, we've been able to, and I say we've, Billy and I kind of talk about this stuff together. If, if, yeah, Billy, uh, time in there. yeah, it's like, you know what I mean, I, I've bounced stuff off him, he's bounced stuff off of me, but, you know, I there's just certain things that you remember. I remember accidents, you know. I remember, um, obviously, the, the, the pile in New York City, and I remember those things where, you know, you just can't get it out of your head. And then my father dying was probably the worst thing that I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it's like seeing him take his last breath was was the top of the the top. And then in two thousand in two thousand twenty one, um, you know, Billy's incident was uh, was something that affected me that I, you know, I I, I couldn't manage. But I, it was something I couldn't even talk about until recently. So I'm, we'll talk about that stuff later, but.
2: I have another one, uh, too, that – something that sticks with you that um, civilians might not know happens. This was a a call we were at trying to – me and another officer trying to kill the last half hour of a shift, sitting in a parking lot, just talking, and um, this call comes in for a uh, person unresponsive. So we were like – they put the address out. We're like, oh, my God, we're right across – literally right across the street. There's no, like – not that you're going to go the long way and wait for the fire guys, but <laughs> you're right. <on>. We're like, <laughs> sometimes they do. We, we're like, we're, we, we're right there. So we go over there, and um, it was right around the holidays, and um, this woman had already passed, but the whole family was there, and they were screaming at us, me and this other officer, like, do something, <laughs> uh, like hammering us with profanities, like, yeah. to do something. And we're, we're like, what are we going to do? Like, th- you don't want to be like, th- I'm sorry that she's already passed. So we're, like, going through the motions, and I remember it was, like, a good two minutes they were just lacing us, swearing at us, do this, do that, and we, we walked out of there and we were like, what the hell, like, we're supposed yeah. to go home and go to bed now after, like, we just got, there was nothing we could do, but we just got our asses kicked by that family, and I'm sure it was just they're, they're running on raw emotion, but yeah. I remember we walked out to, the, to our cruises and we were like, oh my, like, what just happened there? Like, we didn't... We didn't kill her. Right. Yeah. What just happened? And that was, um, that's one that, and I still, that officer now will bring that up. Like, remember that time? It was just, yeah. it really uh, kicked us in the ass, like, how bad that was. That was my first um, call where you're trying to help someone. You can't really help them, but the family just.
0: No, but it can still make you feel helpless, right? Yeah. Like, even though we have an understanding uh, there's there's duties and responsibilities on the scene, and and when those echoes or those noises around you, when people are shouting things like that, I think I think it's going to have an impact. I mean I I, I know it's going to have an impact. Um, you mentioned his his incident, and we we talked at the beginning. I think um, did we talk about K9 Kit Foundation yet? Did we? I think we mentioned no. that you guys talked about speaking together. Yeah. yeah. Um, should we get into that? Do you want to tell us about yeah, who, I'll who tell you Kit was? A little, was little and about, about
2: that. Huh? The foundation was uh, established after my partner, Canine Kit, um, was tragically killed on June fourth, twenty twenty one. And after that happened, I got together with some friends and Freddie, and we're, I wanted to do something to keep Kit's memory alive. So I came up with the idea of helping injured canine teams across the country. So you guys know, when you're out of work, you can't work details, you can't work overtime, you're off the SWAT team. And the purpose was to provide monetary uh, support to injured canine teams across the country, so that evolved into do when Nero's law passed, fight department's need to be trained in first aid to be able to treat canines. So we kind of jumped into that, and uh, Freddie can talk a little bit about that. That's his. Yeah, for
1: those that don't know, um, Sean Gannon was killed on the Cape, and you remember his dog was um, his dog was injured, and it wasn't that. Um, people weren't willing to help. It's just that the regulations and the laws of the Commonwealth, you couldn't put the dog in an ambulance and, and treat it <coughs> because of who knows why. Sometimes I wonder about this state and what it does. But yeah. anyway, um, Representative Zaros from the Cape was like, this is unacceptable. Uh, him and a couple of other um, people got together and filed a bill to allow first responders to treat injured police canine dogs. So something like that would never happen again, and Nero would have somewhere to go or or the equivalent of. So with um, the opposite happening in Braintree, and and, uh, Kit unfortunately was killed, part of our step-off for the foundation was to buy uh, IFAC, or Individual First Aid Kits, for fire departments so that when they have an incident, be it a canine deployment where the dog has a thorn in its its, um, paw... Or something as tragic as um, the kit situation, they'll have some gear and some training uh, to be able to help. So and is that like
3: a first aid kit? Like type yeah, of thing? It,
1: IFAC is individual first aid kit, okay. and this one's designed for canines. Okay, it has some different equipment in it. So we started out doing the South Shore Fire Departments, and it's really <clears throat> been very successful. Uh, we do everything; uh, all of our training is done for free. Uh, we have a veterinarian from Duxbury Animal Hospital, Dr. Dan Hebert who has donated his time to help our foundation. And he wow. was also Kitt's uh, veterinarian for wow. 11 years. So he believes in the mission. So do we. Uh, and um, now we're, we're stepping from that into financially assisting injured canine officers and, and canines. So and tell um, us a
3: little bit about that.
2: We just got back last week. We went down to Dallas uh, Police Department, their, their canine, uh, one of their canines. Got shot, similar incident to mine, uh, tracking a domestic suspect, and uh, they came under fire. The dog, Figor, got shot once in the chest. Um, he survived. And uh, his handler, uh, Scott Jay, got shot multiple times. So, through a couple connections, um, I talked to Scott on the phone and uh, told him what I wanted to do. And uh, I sent a text out to some of the area canine guys that I train with, some of my close friends. and. Said, this is what I'm doing. I'm going down these dates. If you want to come with me, you're more than welcome. If you don't, I'm going alone. So within five minutes, I had nine guys that were like, yes, I'm going. Let wow. Me know, let me know the flight info. So Freddie also came, and the group of us went down there. We met up with those guys, and it was, uh, it was amazing. So,
3: so was, it, was it an official, like, meeting, like, this is what we're doing, or you just show up on, on the guy's doorstep no, we, or
2: at the hospital Yeah, or he, he knew we were coming down there and uh, we just didn't want to make like a big uh, like a circus out of this thing we're not doing it for like pr or we're just yeah, doing right. it to help like good good people yeah so we met him they kind of took us around we went to dinner one night and we presented him with a uh, with a check to to help him and his family out so it was pretty uh he's probably uh, those i can't speak enough about how the dallas Police Department, those officers treated us when we were down there. And I can honestly say that, and I know you can. we've said this before, 100%. I'll pr- probably be friends with those guys for the rest of my life. They're that good of people.
1: Unbelievable. And then even for the fire guy, too, they, you know, they were they were good to me. <laughs> I had to take a couple of ribs, but it was fine. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they were just amazing, amazing people.
3: Wow. Um, Dallas seems to be the place where they're very, very open um, to, especially Texas um, itself, been open to um, speaking and helping with mental health um, first response. We're involved with an organization called First Help, um, or Blue Help at the time. They've now expanded to First Help for all first responders. And um, they're in the process of opening up this whole big memorial park in Texas, um, where they approached other states, and the door was always closed No. And Texas was the only one that said, we'll do it.
2: No kidding. So
3: Yeah. And um, so, especially for first responders who have died by suicide, um, you know, they sort of honor those um, first responders by how they lived, not by how they died. um, Because the whole protocol of honoring a first responder, if they die by suicide, is very, very different. um, How the family is treated and all of that afterwards. Um, So, yeah, they have a whole big memorial um, that's going to be happening with all their names on it. So, you know, Alex, who who we lost in 2018, his name will be on that wall where he is not on any wall here or or remembered in that way. Um, So it's a great thing. So Dallas is definitely, I know we talked about it off air, you know, how impressed you were and how far ahead um, they were in, in helping in that t- those situations.
2: Yeah, we've got to speak at length with them about their uh, Dallas PD last year started this wellness unit. Uh, it's, a, it's a fully staffed unit that they have, and uh, we agreed that it, they're like leaps and bounds ahead of yeah. what we're I doing mean, yeah. here.
1: They have this thing called Checkpoint, and they do random check-in with all the officers on the department. Uh, random they do um hey how's it going i said i noticed that you were at four car accidents last week and can you speak about that and how do you feel about that and it's not always those hard trauma calls it's the it's the everyday stuff the minutiae that might weigh on you a little more yeah. um, i know some of your previous guests had talked about it and we we use this analogy a lot of the backpack right the empty yeah. backpack when you start yeah. and you fill it slowly with pebbles and rocks and pebbles and rocks and Pretty soon that backpack gets overwhelming and you can't carry it anymore. And yeah. you have to dump that stuff out and you have to kind of reset and start again. And this is something, we're, we're reactionary, I think, in the state of Massachusetts. I think we can agree, right? Yeah. Whereas like, oh, uh, you know, somebody was hit by a train. We got go to we gotta go to that department and we got to talk to the guys, which is awesome. It's great that we do that and it works. However, this is more of before that. Right. And during that, and making it normal for you to talk to somebody about the stuff that we see every day that's not normal, right? Yeah. And that's um, Chief Ramirez is uh, the guy that was in charge of it. He was chi- he, his chief's like, look, we got a 70% divorce rate. We have, you know, all these guys that are going out, and they're, they're drinking, and they're going to get in trouble. I, I, let's try to keep these officers on the job, right? And that's the goal of peer support as well. Yeah, We don't want you to quit. We want to we keep you working. And yeah, want so to have get you get healthy, that, right? Get that golden parachute at the end. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so that's what their wellness unit is doing, and it's amazing to see that level of, you know, of commitment to it. And and they have uh, they got some donations from Dak Prescott, uh, the the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and he's all in. He was he has some foundation, um, and he has some pillars of that foundation. and part of that is community outreach to the police, and you know, with all the nonsense that's been going on the last few years, that you know. Police aren't the bad guys, you know. Yeah. There's a few bad eggs, but that doesn't make the whole bunch, right? Yeah. right. And um, it was just awesome to see. And the, the, the level of commitment is unbelievable. They even go out and, um, and come conj- with their uh, association, they go out and do cookouts <clears throat> once a month. They go around to each and every station and have barbecue and, you know, just kind of check in with the guys. How's it going? What's going on?
0: Yeah.
1: You guys running now? What's going on? How's the bad calls? How's the good calls?
3: So, these are separate, like, they're not, like, within the departments? They're actually a group or an organization who no, go... No, they're,
1: they're a unit from the department, so they're... Oh, wow. Yeah, they're, they're a... Um,
2: Full-time you know, full like, unit.
1: Yeah, much like a special operations or...
2: Like a canine unit there, canine. the wellness unit, which is...
3: And they go around all the departments?
1: <laughs>
2: just Dallas.
3: Yeah,
1: just Dallas, but they have seven, uh, is it seven stations yeah, they have or something? Seven, so, they have seven districts, if you will. So, they go around and...
0: I mean it just seems to make wow. so much sense too right for like when when you're a first responder when you when your career or your job involves regular engagement with traumatic incidents and at this point if we don't know it all we know enough about the human condition <laughs> that it's likely that's going to have an impact right or if somebody uh, is is injured in the line of duty uh, to be prepared for an emotional, Change, yeah. Um, to to be aware that that that's going to be part of it. It's something uh, that for so long. I mean, we touched on it, but but that part right there, the preparedness for that, we still. Uh, you know, I, I haven't had a lot of experience talking about that. It's wonderful yeah. to hear it, that.
1: It, it's unbelievable. And then that what that does too is I think it opens it up. You know, for you know, for someone like me. Okay, I have thirty-two years on. I'm a lieutenant. Yeah. Uh, EMS coordinator. Kind of been around the bases a little bit, a few f- few times. Not yep. that I'm some you know experienced salty veteran, but I do have that experience. And for me to say, yeah, you know what, this this thing banged me up a little. I gotta I gotta go talk to someone, or I want to talk to you guys about it. What do you think? That gives it credibility too.
0: Like yes, it, it does. You
1: gotta lead. Leaders lead, right? So you yes. need to. You can't have these guys and the new and the girls and the new the newbies. We'll call them. We can't have them hiding. We can't have them wandering and suffering alone. They just can't. And if you're doing it, Jay or or Billy or I, or even you, Linda, and then you're you're throwing it out there. They're going to think it's normal, and that's what we need.
0: That is exactly what we need. And then that example, uh, what a what a valuable example to be set through that leadership and then continuing to do the job. Because I think that's one of – we talked about stigma, right? That's one of the things that contributes to stigma is in the back of, your, of all of our minds, I think, uh, you know, without it being addressed, without it being spoken about out loud and put out there and, and talked about, it's like, well, this is my job, right? So right. What, am I, what am I saying here? And that can keep us from ever getting to um, – to that real conversation. I think, I think that's tremendous leadership.
2: That's awesome. I think if some of the <coughs> younger um, people, uh, younger officers in both um, jobs, fire and police, if they see in Dallas, this is one of the things they do, if they see guys, like senior guys or guys with, that have been in some like shit, yeah. buy into this whole thing of like, yeah, like Slowly. it's okay to talk to people. They're like, okay, maybe I'll do that. Whereas before, if an older guy saw you, like I need peer support, they'd be like, you need what? Yeah. Like, no, I don't think so, buddy. Yeah. Just keep, keep trucking. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, what they're doing is they're just doing amazing, amazing stuff.
3: I love it. Wellness unit. And that's one of the things right?
1: that uh, Chief Ramirez did is he picked the lieutenant, but then let the lieutenant pick the people. Yeah. Like, that's another thing of leadership, right? He could have been an egomaniac and said, hey, I want to let me pick all these guys because these are my boys or whatever. He didn't do that. He picked a lieutenant who he could trust. And he let the lieutenant pick the other folks. And it's worked out. And like Billy said, they're experienced. They've been through some stuff. I and mean, it adds that credibility to those other people who are doubters to say, well, you know what? If Jay's saying it, then, you know, Jay's tough kid. He does this. He does that. If he's doing it, then it's okay for me to do it. And yes. It's not, I'm not going to get that stigma. Yes, absolutely.
3: Uh, and, I, and, and it falls in. I mean, even now the new guy is coming in. Um, you know, we've heard that the, you know they're getting so much more in academies now, right? Of talking about mental health, where years ago it was basically a check mark, check the box off, and now they are getting so much more. But when they come into reality, out of the academy, and they are actually going into the environment where they're working, and then they have a mentor or whatever words you use it to call it in 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 your field. Um, but they, they're mentoring with somebody else who is older and been on the job for a long time, and this is how we do it. You yep. suck it up. Mm-hmm. Um, well all of this training that they get in the academy is going to go. Right. Um, it, d- it doesn't matter, right yeah. and so, I'm, hopeful that
1: yeah. I'm hopeful that in the academies, and I'm not trying to uh, downplay what they do, they're amazing people.: yeah. and they're, you know, but 127 firefighters. Died by suicide. Yeah, what are we doing? Somewhere, something's broken. Even though we're getting that training. Yeah. Right. Something's broken, and we need to try and make that training better. Maybe it's because it's new or newer, and as we grow it, and that's what, um, you know, that's what Dallas's goal is to kind of, you know, that divorce rate and all that other stuff to c- sort of reduce that. But I think about that, and it, it breaks my heart to think that that many people still there's more people that die by suicide than on the line lo- in the line of duty. Yes.
3: Right. Yeah. And
1: that somewhere that's a catastrophic failure. Yes. It, it, it really is. And it, it, whether it's training or, or, you know, mandatory counseling or mandatory check-ins like we're, like we're talking about in Dallas, yeah. you know, I don't, it's it just, again, I don't mean to downplay the Academy stuff. It, it is very valuable. To yeah. All,
3: you're, but. you're absolutely on point there, um, Freddie, with what you're saying. It's, it's, the academy are, are doing their thing. And then, you know, how a person receives that information. I mean, all those recruits are all individuals. They're all going to receive that information. Either take or, or, or and say, I'm going to use this and really use this as a tool to help me um, when I go in there. But when I go into work in, in the environment and, I'm, and I have this bad call, who do I go to talk to? Um, and what's available to me and what's being introduced to me. Like, what are the guidelines that I've been gone by or I've been given to, that I'm going to have to use for the rest of my career unless I, I want to speak up and change things. I know I don't feel good about this. You know what I mean? Um, Billy, can we get in and talk with you a little bit sure. about your, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of stuff, that has happened over the years. Um, a lot of critical incidents um, with guns and stuff like that. I don't want to disregard any of your calls or your career or anything like that because every one of them are important as a police officer to you right. and how you do your job. Um, do you want to share with us, share with our listeners... About those ones that you feel comfortable that you want to share
2: absolutely um so two thousand sixteen uh, be first off, being a canine officer, you're kind of in the middle of everything If something bad happens they're calling, uh, they're calling the canine unit to to try to find this uh, the the person responsible, so I got thrown into a lot of uh shitty situations um th- that it is what it is that's why I took that job so to be in the action so. I'm not complaining. But 2016, I get called. I was home sleeping. I got called to go to this address on Liberty Street in Braintree. And uh, they, the, the, when they called, they were like, yeah, can you come look for this guy and said a couple things, what was going on. So when I got there, I was briefed on a little bit more of it. This guy was out of control trying to break into his, the mother of his children's home. Uh, she was in there with her elderly father and her two kids and they were barricaded in the bathroom he broke into the house he was trying to knife his way through the door so i get there start tracking with kit uh, to make a, a long story a little bit shorter uh, kit ends up finding this guy he's hiding on, under a car on the street over and i was just talking to him how i'm talking to you you all here i said but buddy just come out from under the car like the, do- the dog found you i don't i don't want the dog to bite you and he was just, the only thing I can describe is, like, that 1,000-yard stare. He was just looking right through me. So I told him a couple more times, like, just come out. Just talking to a normal. Come out. I don't want my, my dog to bite you. And then he said, you don't know it, but you're about to die. So then I'm like, what the hell? He's got this 80-pound dog in his face, like, breathing fire at him, and that's, that's your answer? So then he comes out from the car and literally just charges at me with the knife, pulls the knife out of his, out of the, uh, like, right by his belt buckle, and just starts charging me with the knife. So... My backup uh, officer fires a couple beanbag rounds, left these little beanbag rounds as my daughter do- now. Kit's biting him in like his right lap. Kit's attached to him, biting him, still not slowing him down. Beanbag rounds hit him, all of them hit him, just lights him on fire even more. Like he- this guy's angry, and then him and I are face to face, and he's telling me I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill you, and it was up close and personal. Well. I ended up, um, I ended up shooting him and killing him. So, and then. Uh, you don't yeah,
3: can, I, can I, before I go into that? Sure. Because I don't want to just disregard that. Um, you said he ended up shooting him, kill him, after that incident. How did that affect you?
2: Um, uh, you're immediately like, am I in trouble? Am I, like, there's a million thoughts going in uh, through your head. And I tell a story, it's not funny, but just to show you what, you're sleeping one minute, and then 15 minutes later, you're in the fight for your life. So that just happens, and then I'm walking... So everyone starts treating uh, the suspect, and I'm walking to make sure my dog's all right. Yeah. And I'm walking across on a neighbor's lawn, and this guy, after this, this critical incident just happens, this just goes to show you how fucked up things can get, this guy screams, get your fucking dog off my lawn. So just involved in a shooting, I'm trying to go to my cruiser to check my dog, and this, this guy, like, that, that's what you're saying, buddy? Like, get off your lawn with my dog at 1.30 in the morning? So it was like, you're. It's like a roller coaster of emotions. Like you're, you're like, oh my god, this just happened. The adrenaline dump is real, and then you're dealing with this, and then I got to go to the cruiser, to check my dog, to make sure my dog's not uh, stabbed and dying. Yeah. So that was um, yeah, it was just a it mix didn't. of emotions, and then put my dog in the car. They're telling me I have to get an ambulance. The ambulance was there within minutes, and. Um, there's no class in the academy that prepares you for after action shooting. There's not. I didn't know anything. I'm like, what's going to happen now? They threw me in an ambulance. And I remember I was in the ambulance. It seemed like for an eternity. And I'm like, what Why am What am I doing here in the ambulance? So then I told the, I knew the medic in the ambulance. I'm like, you better like take me to the hospital or I'm just going to get out of this ambulance. Yeah. So let them drive in to the hospital. I'm like, what the <coughs> hell are they, now what's going to happen? Are people going to question me? And I get to the ambulance bay at Celso Hospital, and thank God, it was like uh, someone dropped him from the sky. There was a Weymouth officer waiting for me that I knew, and it was like, okay, I'm going to be with this guy, and I'm going to be good. But the mix of emotions continue because they put me in this room at Celso Hospital in the ER. Everyone's looking at you when you come in there because they're like, you know, what are this? This is the officer that just did this. It's just... Well, nope. they're they all on the radio, yeah. right? And yeah. it's all coming in. And, and yeah. they're the best people ever there. But you're yeah. like, why is everyone staring at me? So they, they put you and me in a room. And then within minutes, they put the suspect in the room right next to me. Ooh. Yeah. So that was like, it was, it was just chaos in there. So then I was there for a little bit. And again, my, your emotions are like crazy. You're thinking like, am I in trouble? What, what's going to happen now?
3: Can I just jump in there? Sure. I hear you say emotions, emotions, emotions. Mm-hmm. Describe that. What that feeling is like. What what oh those God, emotions it's are like,
2: like. It's like running a marathon on uh, with no food in your stomach. Like you're just drained, emo- like exhausted. And it's like the unknown. This is, hasn't happened to me before, so it was the unknown. Like what's going to happen? The doctor came in, did some like... He was doing like the reflex test, you know, like when they hit your, hit your knee and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, what does this have to do with what I just did? But I think, I guess that's what he was doing. So I was there for, for a little bit and, um, finally got out of there and I went home and then when I come home, I'm like, now what do I do? Like, what is my phone's like red hot from people calling me like, what the hell happened? Everyone wants the story, but you're, you're kind of in, you're in shock. Totally in shock, and that's one thing I like. I called my father. I was like, "I don't know what the hell. I feel terrible. I don't know what's going on with my body." And that's he, he was like, "Yeah, you're in, you're in shock." So, so
3: Jordan, Jordan, all of this time, did anyone say to you or ask you how are you? How are you doing?
2: My close friends were, and again, like the the chief at the time of that one was. It, he is a close friend of mine. He was, I'd rather have a chief that says, like, I don't know, like, just be with me. We're going to do this instead of the chief that thinks he knows everything but hasn't done shit. Yeah. So he was kind of, he was open with me, like, from the start. Like, this really hasn't happened here, Be it with me. And I was, like, just him saying that, I was, like, oh, like, this guy is just the best to, like.
3: So we're all going to go through this together. Yes. Like, go through this whole experience together because yeah. it's the first time, right?
2: Yeah. Like, that um, meant the world. Like, him just saying that to me instead of, like. Kind of like you know, like a cheap and big time. You know, like I was like, it just made me feel like yeah. that, like calm me down.
3: Yeah, I can, I can see that you're, you're, you're doing this body language of exhale. Yes. Um, across the table, and and that's what that must have felt like for you. Right. Um, wow.
2: Yeah, that was pretty. Um, it was crazy.
3: Yeah. Afterwards, was there follow up and stuff like that with you? Like, no, not really. Yeah, I kind
2: of just started relying on like friends and family to. Um, if I was having bad days, I would talk to them, but that was my thing. Go back to work. I got to get back to work, and I went back too soon. So, oh.
3: what happened when you went back too soon?
2: What did you experience? The first time I had a canine track was like I was walking on eggshells. I like thought people were. I'll never the, the officer that was my cover officer that day. It was a domestic, mm-hmm. and um, the the person we were looking for was known to me. He's kind of a shithead. So. I was just on walking on eggshells, like every noise I thought like someone was jumping out on me. Even the, the, the dude I was with was like, I could t- tell, he was like, well, wh- what is going on here? Like everywhere I stepped, I thought someone was going to jump out. So.
3: So you were like vigilant.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, but in my head, I'm like, I got to find this kid. But in my head, I was like, I got, I'm not right.
1: Mm.
2: Like something's going on that I am not right. But we ended up finding the kid and um, he was hiding in a shed and then I was like, okay, i got to step back, reset. And then what happens again, um, days later, we get another call with a, a person up the Braintree High School baseball field. They kind of, like, cornered him into, a, into like, left field at the, at the baseball field. And the guy, has a, he's threatened to kill us. He has a knife. This was, like, when I'm still messed up in the head. Yeah. So I was with uh, another officer from a neighboring agency who's a super close friend of mine. And um, I'm walking up with Kit. And I was telling him, I'm like, oh, my God, if I get in another shooting, like, this close, they're going to, like, probably fire me. That's That was thinking in my head, walking up to this call. I'm like, yep. if I do this again, I'm I'm going to be in the shit. And um, that ended up working out. He ended up tasing him. At the same time, he tased him. I sent Kit. Kit bit him, and um, he dropped a knife. Like, that, w- that was another one. But that was, imagine thinking that. Like, that's what you're thinking. You're in a deadly force situation. You're thinking, I can't do this because of this. Yeah. So that's when I was, like... Time to t- take a few more days off and, and fix what you got going on. And that's what I did. I took a little bit more time off until I knew I was, um, like, stable enough to go back to work. But I wasn't telling, like, my chief, like, I'm, uh, I'm messed up because you don't know what's... Right. What's, yeah. If you say, like, I'm messed up, so what does that mean? Like, he's going to go throw you into some, like, inpatient place? Like, I didn't want to do that. I just needed to figure stuff out on my own and rely on my friends and coworkers to, to figure some stuff out.
0: Was there any type of official debrief?
2: Yeah, they did a, um, they did a debrief. And that's the one thing um, I will say about, that was, I've had other debriefs before that for critical incidents, but that one was um, when you realize how many people care about you, like the people were there, like that was like an eye opener to me. I knew like I had like people liked me there, Mm -hmm. but then to see some some people like really break down and say like, we thought this was going to happen or this, I was like, oh my God, like, I love these people that I work with. Like, yeah. some of those people that were there that night, I l- honestly love those people. And to hear them, their their emotion from, like, their point of view on that incident, I was like... Yeah. That's, it's hard not to, like, sit there and, like, turn into a puddle crying when you're, like, hearing yeah. people, like, spill their guts about, like, we thought this or I wanted to be there instead of him. It was... Yeah. yeah. So that was my, like I said, other debriefs before, but that was my first one where I was like, this freaking works. Like, this is... Hearing every like it puts the whole puzzle together. Like hearing everyone's story. Hundred
1: percent. That's yeah. it's the idea behind it. Right. Right. And so
3: like figuring things out, Billy. Um, as far as like you said, I need I need a couple of days. I wasn't telling my chief, you know, that I was, that I was struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could
2: have told him, and he would have been great. But yeah. I didn't want to. Uh, not that I. He would think I'm like weak, but I just didn't want to put. He's already been through enough dealing with this, all this other stuff. I didn't want to like. Yeah. And I could have, I could have one hundred percent told him like. Something's going on, but I just kind of kept it in,
3: yeah so like you said I, I kind of relied on my friends and and people around me who are close to me who would understand I could unload all of that too. Can you get into that a little bit, like in a healthy way, like is it just conversations and being able to talk it out like as peers with your friends
2: yeah, so there was more more conversation, and again, I wasn't a drinker, so I didn't just go uh, wash it. My wash my feelings away with quiet uh, with, practice. With alcohol, right. yeah, the quiet uh. practice. But I, uh, it did affect me too. Like we went to uh, went to Nashville. Yeah, we went and played in a hockey tournament. I did, I wasn't going to go, and he was like, "You got to go away to play in this tournament." So we ended up playing. And I looked back at pitches, yeah, and I, was I wasn't eating. S- I was just going. I say wasn't that. eating after that. My appetite for weeks was. It was non-existent. I had no appetite. I wasn't sleeping. I lo- When I look at pitches... Yeah, like- I'll, show,
1: I'll show you guys the picture because I keep it on my phone. Um, like I said, it was, a, it was a struggle to get him to go. Yeah. Um, just because of everything going on. But then when we did go, we took a picture in the locker room of the Nashville Predators. Both of us are hockey nuts, right? So we had a connection to get us into the locker room. And everybody's, like, excited. And he's just got this blank stare on his face with bags under his eyes. He looks like he looks terrible, and I'll, I still reflect back on that and, and realize that you know that how he was, how much of a mess it yeah. was. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah we, we kind of, yeah. I mean, we just noticed it, you know. Yeah. And, and as friends, that's what you do, hopefully, with with your close friends, you know.
2: Is and that I'm you
3: do notice those, yeah, behaviors? Another, another
2: thing that people didn't know that I wasn't another thing I was you keeping so much stuff in. There was a personal connection with that whole thing. The the victim, the female victim that was barricaded in the bathroom with her two kids, uh, she was a friend of mine that we graduated together with. And hi- we went to high school together. High we were school, friends wow. in high school. But I didn't, when I went to that house, I wasn't like, oh, this is so and so's house. You're kind of in like game mode and you're like, yeah. all right, let's go find this guy. Yeah. But that was, um, that was, that weighed on me after, too. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, so I just was involved in this and this happened. And then this is just crazy thinking, but. I, I almost had like a little bit of guilt for those kids. It, it it that took a toll on me too. Like their kids now don't have a father, and that was for months. I was like worrying about like, oh my god, when Christmas comes, what those those kids? And then I go, I call her my work angel, Christine Lyden. She's like uh, the head of peer support at Braintree PD. I was upset that they were going. The kids had to deal with this, but then she kind of wrote this like note on this little note card, and it was like that kind of like. Made well, it go away.
3: She put a a different perspective yeah, on it yes. for you? Yes. To help you understand that this wasn't your fault. Right. You know, I what had
2: mean? I I just constantly was thinking about and again to y- yeah. cops, you don't want to tell people what you're uh what you're thinking, but I Yeah. Yeah, I constantly thought about her two little girls.
3: Yeah. So again, another time when an incident happens and it's gone. That boulder is going in that backpack. Yes. And you're not unloading because so many of those have to, to happen right. over time. And then
2: Yeah, so then um, th- there was one in between that too. Which, oh, my um, goodness. I, I was telling a, a story to f- another close friend that hopefully I never have to go through that again. And then 14 months later, it's the same thing. We went down to serve a warrant at a, a local Motel and um, the shit hit the fan pretty quick. And um, one of my closest friends um, ended up getting shot.
0: We have all just listened to Freddie and Billy share some of their experiences dealing with trauma, the stigma that they've encountered or witnessed within both of their departments, the importance of having supportive friends, the concept of alcohol use. Misuse, and why they both choose to not drink. We've decided to make this interview a two-part series so that we can all take in the importance of the content being shared. Please tune in next week for part two, where we'll hear about Billy's friend and fellow officer being shot while they served a warrant. We'll also hear about an additional call: a shooting incident where Billy was wounded by gunfire, his life saved by the quick thoughts actions and preparedness of his fellow officers. Billy's partner, K9 Kit, was murdered in the same incident. Throughout the episode, we will all continue to discuss trauma, to recognize the progress made in the advancement of first responder mental health awareness, and we'll continue to strive for more. Until next time.
3: Until next time.